The Game of Zen explores the often overlooked ways in which professional, personal, and spiritual growth are interrelated. We dive deep into the life teachings of the Buddha and the mindfulness practices of Zen, revealing how they can help us dramatically expand our possibilities for wholehearted work, life, and play. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Game of Zen podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. What's up, Paul? How's everything going in Boulder today? It's going good. Um, I had a great weekend. Um, had a full day Zen retreat out at our Willow Farm Contemplative Center outside of Boulder on Saturday. Had a nice group out there for a full day of Zen practice and uh, it went excellent. So super, super deep practice together in Sangha. And then I got to play a final game of my uh, my fall soccer season was uh, was yesterday, and we came away with a victory on that one. Nice. How about you? How was how was your weekend? It was good. Speaking of victories, uh, the Sixers won their eighth game in a row last night, oh. and Tyrese Maxey had fifty points, and it was Woo. exciting. So yeah, he's he's an up and coming all star this year. So it was fun, and we're looking good. Cool. Well, uh, today we are going to talk about the rest of the Eightfold Path. So in previous episodes, uh, we covered the insight or wisdom dimension, which is right view and right intention. Then we went to the ethical dimension, which is right speech, right action and right livelihood. And finally, now we're going to talk about the meditation dimension, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. So Paul, can you give us an intro to these three elements of the Eightfold Path? Yeah, so these we call the the concentration or the meditation dimension, um, also the samadhi dimension. So the the previous parts of the path, the view, intention, speech, action, livelihood, those kind of give us a a foundation for how to comport ourselves in the world, um, particularly with respect to body, our behaviors and actions and our speech and the things that we're saying. Now we're going to get up into our minds. This is the dimension where we're working with our minds, with the concentration of our mind, with the way we're oriented in our minds towards our work and the way that we're applying our attention to the world. So this gets into, you could say, some of the more subtle layers of the Eightfold Path. And this is where it really... um, starts to develop you know it becomes less of a sense of here's how you're supposed to do things and more of a sense of a process of internalizing this um path of growing in awareness and growing in heart wisdom and compassion so things start to get really deep and really generative with this um this dimension of the of the eightfold path so right, let's start with right effort. And I, what I find interesting is that it really fits into every other part of the path. And when you think about it, like in the entire, you know, thing about studying this, you know, takes effort. And then you, you know, apply it to different things that happen during your day. So every day I'm thinking to myself about effort and it could mean going to the gym and working out. It could mean work and being on the computer. It could mean, you know, taking a walk outside or talking to my daughters so there's effort plays into all parts of the day. It could be doing the laundry or making dinner, you know. And so I find that it's, you know, once I really concentrate on effort, 
things seem to go better. And so, Paul, what do you think about right effort and how it fits into your day? Yeah, well, I'll give you a few just kind of images around right effort as we understand it. So um, one image comes from the Buddha who was asked, you know, how do I how do I practice? How do I go about, you know, doing this thing that you're teaching? Uh, some student asked him that. And he, uh, they happened to be by the river and there was a barge going by the river or a, or a, a, a small boat, a skiff. And on it, there was a uh, there was a person playing the lute and he pointed out and he said, look at that lute player out there. Um, in order to play the lute, you have to tune the strings in just the right way. You can't be too tight or they can't be too loose. If they're too, loo too loose, it sounds terrible. If it's too too tight, it sounds terrible. And you also break break the strings, right? So you kind of have to tune, you know, tune yourself uh, to the right resonance, the right frequency with the right level of effort. So that's, that's kind of, you can hold that image in your mind as you think about right effort. Another one that that I've come to see as a, as a helpful sort of metaphor is, and this this gets at the quality of attention that we're bringing is when you're uh, envision riding a bike and you're riding it, but you're kind of trapped in a little gully. OK, you're like just uh, riding through the people who do uh, mountain biking, you know, may, may find this to be the case. You're sort of trapped in a, in a gutter or a little gully right now. You can keep going down that gully, but that's not necessarily where you want to go. If you really want freedom of movement and freedom of activity, you have to exert some effort to get out of the gully. You got to turn your turn that bike's handles head up and make a leap outside of that pattern that you're caught in, right? Outside of that 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 valley. Um, and then once you get up and over that, now things are a lot easier, aren't they? You've got freedom, you've got ease, you can go wherever you want. So it's kind of an image and it does relate to the fact that we're, we are so often caught in autopilot with so much of what we do, so much of what we think is conditioned, so much of what we're doing has to do with the habits that we've generated over the course of the day. The way we do our jobs, the way we run our businesses are so often based on habits that we've developed based on the way we've done things and things that may have worked or not worked. Um, and then things that maybe people told us to do and we just kind of got in, got into the groove of doing them. Okay, well, that's in the groove of the, the way things used to be. And it takes effort to get out of that. So right effort does involve this, this aspect of applying our attention to the way things are, the way our minds are working so that we can direct them um, in the way that we really want them to go. Not to follow conditioned patterns, but to just be free and open. Okay. So those are, those are some, those are just some qualities of right effort. Let me toss it back over to you and see if any of that resonates with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's just, I was thinking about like in, in a business, you know, right. How do we, you know, apply right effort to our own activity running a business? You know, there's a million different things going on when you're starting a company or running a business. Um, but then there's also effort from your team. So how do you, you know, you need to get the most out of yourself, but you also need to get the most out of everybody that works for you. 
and you need the right effort from your vendors and your customers and things like that. So it definitely like applies, you know, in a lot of different ways. So how do you think about the, the application of, of energy, you know, the four ways and the four great endeavors, like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. The, the, the most important thing is to, is to realize, um, have a sense for what's wholesome and what isn't wholesome, right? Because right effort, and we've talked about this in the previous aspects of the path, when we say right speech, right intention, the right really means in the service of wholesomeness. Okay. So what, what is wholesome and what, what isn't wholesome? Um, we could so so we can look at these these endeavors these four endeavors and the Buddha talked about the four endeavors that kind of make up right right effort, and really simply we could say that it's um, preventing the arising of unwholesome states, abandoning unwholesome states that you have already arisen, um, arousing wholesome states, and then maintaining and supporting wholesome states that have already arisen. Okay, it's pretty simple in a way. These are the these are the four ways of implying right effort. But now really basically what's a wholesome state and what's an unwholesome state? Well, an unwholesome state is one that's driven by what we call the three poisons, the craving, the anger or aversion, and then the delusion or the ignorance. These are what we know understand to be the unwholesome states, right? Now, it's important to recognize that we have latent tendencies of these things. That's what the Buddha meant by them being poisons. They just happen to be parts of our human nature that we, we certainly have a, we have a tendency to fall into. And I think if all of us look at ourselves authentically, we see that, yeah, we're prone to craving and greed. We're prone to aversion and ill will, anger. And we're prone to just turning away and being deluded about things. These are, these are aspects. Um, but we have, we have a will and we have the potential to, to water certain seeds and to not water other seeds. And that's where right effort comes in is do we do the things that, um, keep those, uh, unwholesome tendencies of our mind from arising or since they arise so easily and it's very difficult to really eradicate them, to notice them and then to not encourage them when they have arisen. So we can look at this in a real practical way. When you notice yourself getting angry, there are things that you can do to encourage that anger, to stoke that anger, to escalate the anger, um, to act in a way that you're going to get what you want you know, damn everybody else. Okay. Or you can counteract what you recognize as a, as a potentially unwholesome, you know, manifestation from yourself and you can work against it. So there's a, there's a number of, you know, skillful ways that you can work against it. Um, you can, you can practice the opposite of, you know, for example, the unwholesome state that's arising for you. Etc. You know, there's a number of ways that you, you you can do that, but noticing that it's there, and then working against it, and then cultivating a more wholesome state. That's that's sort of the 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 project, you know, of right effort, if you will. Now you ask, so how do you help? How do you cultivate that in others? Well, so obviously, you have to you have to be able to practice it yourself. And for most people in leadership positions. 
you know, uh, what you do is, is much more important than what you say. You know, people are going to watch what you do. So they're going to model themselves on how you are handling your own adverse conditions, right? And, and people can tell when you're being driven by greed, right? Or when you're being driven by a craving that I just want things my way. And, and if you say my way or the highway, um, that's not good leadership at all. Right. So if you're my way or the highway, then that's how everybody who works for you is going to be. They're going to all be, well, it's my way or the highway. And I'm going to do everything I can to get things, you know, my way. That's just human nature. So practice um, not cultivating unwholesome states, practice cultivating wholesome states, and then um, model that for others. And then you can give them your reflection on that you know, that very process. It's like, Hey, you know, what you're doing right here is actually not contributing to the group success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good lesson for leaders. You know, it's really like you can change the channel. I like what you say, Paul, change the channel with your inner remote. You know, we all have a remote control in our head and we can change the channel. We can change the way our thoughts, these, the unwholesome thoughts are going to happen. They don't, they don't ever really stop. So the key is being able to change them. And when you change them in your own head, then you can change them for people around you in your life, okay. whether, whether it's work or your family. So first you need to like decide yourself, like this is anger and this is ignorance. Uh, I need to change my own thought process. I need to do the opposite. I need to arouse a wholesome state. And then you can say that same thing to your people on your team when you see them doing the same thing. So yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, human nature has been around for a long time, <laughs> yep. you know, tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of years in terms of how, you know, how we really try to get things our way. Um, and then we also have a culture and we, we have certain, you know, cultural tendencies and certain, say, um, professional cultures, you know, certain cultures that, can very much, you know, stimulate some of these unwholesome tendencies that we have. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fear that's generated in society and in the workplace. There's a lot of greed that is stimulated in society and also in the workplace. And we do tend to establish a certain kind of autopilot mechanisms for, for handling that stuff. We, we can buy in to the social signals about we need things that we don't really need, for example, right? So it's, it's very much a, um, the, it, it's a very urgent matter, you know, to actually notice when we're being um, our, our, our lesser instincts are being stimulated and then to put our effort into not feeding those things into working against them. I think you bring up an interesting point about society because I think about right effort sometimes and, you know, you'll find people this in this country, you know, we work a lot and in other countries they work less and they have more balance. You know, they take a siesta or something like that. And, but in, in, you know, the U S it's like a five or six day work week. And, you know, there's a lot of movement to take it to a four day work week. It yeah. does that mean we're not putting the right effort out or does that mean we're going to live more healthy and balanced lives? So the effort that, you know, society thinks, you know, some people say I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I start working and, you know, early bird gets the worm and so on. Is that the right answer? 
other people say you need more sleep to be healthy. So, you mm-hmm. know, what, what is what is uh, your own interpretation of right effort? I think that's what's interesting about all these things is like you decide what you think is right effort in your life and then you can, you know, deal with it with other folks. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. And that, that's a really good, um, you know, thing to talk about is is that um, people you know, a lot of people think that, well, well, I'm going to establish that this is right effort. You know, I mean, where did a 40 hour work week come from? You know, yeah. where does the 80 hour work, work week come from that a lot of say startup, you know, people uh, buy into it, 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 that may be a very wholesome use of people's energy in some cases, and it may not be in other cases, generally we're generally in this company, this country for sure, you know, we are too driven and we are we are we are driven to 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 work too hard and uh to to not live an overall wholesome you know existence i would say it's pretty safe to say that that's generally the case but everybody does need to look into themselves and see where their balance is yeah i i hear a lot of people when they talk about meditation say i don't have time for it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i always say well do you have two minutes to, during the day to do some meditation and, you know, cause they're busy working, doing the kids, whatever like that. So I think it's all, all perception. So anyway, let's move on to meditation and mindfulness because in my view, mindfulness is really a central element in the pursuit of enlightenment. And, you know, in my, my journey along this path, the more I, I practice mindfulness and the better I incorporate it in everything else flowed from there. It really makes a huge difference. So it made a really big difference. So, Paul, like, tell us about how mindfulness plays such a big part of the Eightfold Path. Well, I just talked about how we need to be aware of the wholesome states versus the unwholesome states in order to know where to apply our effort. And that's where the mindfulness comes in. It's the actual awareness of what's arising, right? What I'm doing, what it feels like, what's emerging from it. Right. So when you mindfully eat and you mindfully talk and you mindfully um, um, work, whatever, whatever you're doing, mindfully, mindfully, meaning you're very much in tune with how you're feeling as you engage in this. And you're also very much in tune in what the in tune with the consequences of what you're doing, both internal consequences as, as well as external consequences. All right. So when you're, when you're in tune with all these things, you start to have a, a sense for, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping my lid. For example, I'm, 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 I've lost it. Right. I, I've lost it in this anger. There's the part of us when we're really contracted around say a, a, an angry state, we just think we're, we are like so right and and everybody needs to hear me and we've lost total perspective you know we just think we're the the king (laughs) or or the queen you know we're the royal we lose the perspective but mindfulness allows us to feel those things but also have a bigger container so we're really recognizing how it's affecting other people and where where it's going to be going so that's that's the mindfulness we need to practice is to compl- always 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 be reflecting on and have the internal awareness of what exactly is arising within yourself 
Yeah, and I find that my I, I work mindfulness into my routine basically all day long. And you know, I I studied a lot from Thich Nhat Hanh, and he used to talk about like mindful drinking of tea and the mindful walking, mindful speaking, and and on and on and on. And so I think about it during different parts of the day about how can I be more mindful. And the thing about it is like it does you you will drift away from mindfulness. It's just natural. Your, your mind is going to go in different places. But the more you can bring it back to exactly what you're working on right now, you could be cutting vegetables. You could be doing folding your laundry. You know, if you say, OK, I'm going to concentrate on folding my laundry now and I'm not going to think about all those other things that just popped in my head. There, that's me changing the channel. You mm -hmm. know, so what I've learned is that more, the more I work it into my routine, the more it helps my spiritual growth and well-being. You know, so how do you how do you deal with your habits of mindfulness and, and bring them into your life, Paul? Well, that's the, the the key is to develop a habit of of mindfulness. So, you know, having a daily meditation practice, uh, uh, of course, is excellent and in, in, in some ways essential. I would say if you want to get if you want any sort of depth um, to just practice even a 10, 10 minutes a day of just a formal meditation practice, following your breath or, or generating, uh, some compassionate states, you know, something like that is, is going to help you. But then, then you have to, you know, integrate a discipline of awareness, you know, into your daily life, because the tendency to be on autopilot is just profound, just so, so strong. And so, so just to give yourself reminders um, to be mindful in everything you do, whether it's eating or resting or walking or working or engaging, the more, the more active and engaged that you are verbally, you know, and with other people, um, the more challenging it is to be, to be mindful of what you're doing, but, um, you get better at it. It's, it's so, it's so, uh, you know, awesome how you really can get better at it. There's, there's sort of a, yeah, there's sort of a path of development. Um, I'll I'll talk about that later when we when we talk about right concentration. But the 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 key to um the key to developing mindfulness is really a discipline a discipline around your quality of reflection. Yeah, and I think that I think what's great about this path and learning more about it is I I see very clearly how mindfulness and concentration go together. Actually, you know, because to me, right concentration really emphasizes like the importance of focused and, and undistracted mental states, right? So how can we as either individuals, family or entrepreneurs, like how do we balance the demands of our busy life with right practicing right concentration? And that will lead into right mindfulness. So yeah. what are what are practical <laughs> techniques for, for right concentration? Yeah, well, I, I, I wanted to comment on your uh your note about, you know, people who say they don't have time to meditate. And I, my response is you don't have time to not meditate <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> because meditation actually gives you more time. It truly does. It opens up your internal capacity so that you, you know, the, the, what you thought was this big jungle of things that you need to do. That's actually all in your mind. You're creating that jungle. If you allow your mind to settle down, you realize that, oh, I've just got, you know, these things to do and I'm just going to do them. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you actually end up um, creating more subjective time. And the subjective time is much more important than clock time. It's, it's yeah. that quality of time. So, 
So how, yeah, you asked how you do that. Well, the beauty is that that concentration actually builds on itself. And anyone who's done meditation, you know, retreat of, of any length, you know, several hours or a day, this it tends to kick in about half, half a day in or three quarters of the day in where it starts to get a momentum of, it, of its own. So if you keep applying yourself to it, you will start to develop a momentum of your concentration and then it's not like it's going to just happen of its own accord, but it actually gets easier. You know, now you've, now you've pointed the vehicle in the, in the right direction. You just need to keep it on track, right? As opposed to that earlier image that I gave where you got to get it out of the, the bad habit, really get it over the hump and then, you know, get it into some place of freedom. But the way to do that, it follows a kind of a course. Um, first, you just have to establish a um, consistency of your practice and a consistency of your awareness. So practice practice your mindfulness, formal or informal, at regular times. Do it at the same time every day. Give it your 10 minutes and do it no matter what your internal state is. Okay. If you're not feeling good, if you're if you're tired, it doesn't matter. Unless you're in a in a really tough place and you really can't do it, don't make your practice state dependent. Just do it. Right. So establish a constant consistency and it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. Don't don't even um, don't even judge it. Don't even qualify it. You know, perseverance is really the most the most important thing. And just as an aside, you know, Malcolm Gladwell came out with this book, Outliers, where he found that the, the high achievers. The, the thing that they all have in common is that they just persevered at things. They just kept going with it. So I think this is probably where the 10,000 hour, you know, kind of thing, you know, came, came in. Not no innate talent, you know, innate talent is, is a small part of success, but perseverance is the large part of success. And that was my teacher's mantra always is just keep going, mm -hmm. just keep going with your practice and, and you'll develop. So maintain consistency. Maintain the continuity of your awareness, okay? So don't have gaps. Don't take a day or two off, okay? And that also means be, be continuous with your attention. So keep your mind coming back to your breath or keep it coming back to whatever it is that you're being mindful. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And then what was a discontinuous attention or a discontinuous practice where you're doing it now, there, things are jumping around, becomes continuous, and now we've got the continuity, which is wonderful. Continuity feels wonderful. Now that now you're in some sort of flow. Now, once you've got that going, now it's time to deepen. And that's where the concentration comes in. It's the deepening of your awareness once you've established that thread, if you will, of your awareness. Now you can deepen, you expand, and now you really have a great deal of potency mm -hmm. with, your, with your mind. And I can see, you know, learning from you, Paul, like since we've been working together for a couple of years now, like I, my concentration is better. My consistency is better. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing things more every day and the benefits are, are really tangible. You know, they're, it's helping me meditate better. It's helping me look at a spreadsheet better. And then something else interesting happened. Um, you know, my job at the Sixer Games, I've been working there for 35 years, and I, I have to watch. The game. There's 500 things that happen during a basketball game. Rebound, steal, turnover, assist. And I have to basically record myself and my partner. We have to record all of it. 
And I've been, I've been doing it a long time, but once I started thinking about right concentration, I actually got a little bit better at it. So I, I spent my 10,000 hours doing that. But then I said, you know, because during the game, your mind, you know, you might drift and you might think about something else for a little bit. And you might miss something like who had that assist or who had that turnover. I'm now focused on right concentration all the time. I'm following that ball from each pass that it makes. And I've gotten a tiny bit better, you know, a little bit better at the job that I've been working at all this time. Mm-hmm. So it was more just thinking, you know, being more mindful and again, right effort. But the right concentration led to a little bit better effort and better mindfulness, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It very much builds on itself. And um, we're often driven by something that that is urging us to pay close attention, right? For you, it's it's your job and you don't want to miss anything, yeah. right? God forbid the Sixers had bad data. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no such bad data exists. No such bad data. No, no, we've got, we've got a, a pro. Um, then I think also of, you know, samurais and how the, you know, the art of samurai when they're facing each other is they're paying meticulous attention to their opponent's breath pattern. And like, right when they have, um, you know, exhale, when the exhale, I, I believe this is the case, you know, right at the, at the turning point when the exhale is expended, that's the time when they jump in and make the hit because the mind has a slightly greater tendency of wavering at that, at that inflection point right there. So that, that meticulous attention is really important. And it might be helpful to recognize that we have, we have um, what we understand to be subtle and gross distractions. They, they come at us in at different layers. And there are so many gross distractions in our lives right now. Oh, the social media feeds, the phones ringing, the messages coming in. These are all just obvious, right? Obvious like claims on our attention. And we're all in in, in some ways establishing some hopefully, you know, good attentional habits around those things so that we can work with those. But we also have subtle distractions that are underneath those those are those those persistent worries it's the persistent you know fantasizing or catastrophizing or um uh dwelling or obsessing perhaps on things from the past that are happening underneath the surface of all of those gross distractions now you could even say that the growth our tendency to like be distracted by the gross distractions is a way to uh, avoid the the subtle distractions, you know, because those are even more meddlesome, you know, to deal with. And we'd rather be kind of, oh, overwhelmed with all of this stuff than we are to deal with some of the deeper emotional things that are that are pulling our attention, you know, away away, you could say, from the present moment. Um, so why am I talking about all this? Well, concentration allows you allows you to recognize what's going on with all of this. In fact, an unconcentrated mind is kind of, you know, just a victim <laughs> of all of this. You know, you don't even know what's important and what isn't. What's, what's you know, uh, just a surface level something or something that's important, right? You need that depth of concentration of mind in order, order to, to do that. So I, I don't know if that address, I think that addressed what you were. Oh, that was what, great. What so I, I find also that, you know, what I find super interesting is that 
it gets faster. In other words, like the more that you understand what's called what the subtle distraction is and what's causing it, you know, getting back to the second noble truth, what is causing our suffering? The, I'm, I'm much faster at recognizing that unwholesome thought and switching it to a wholesome thought, like you said earlier. Like it just gets easier over time because, you know, you study and you practice and that's where mindfulness comes in. It's like, OK, I have an unwholesome thought. I'm being mindful of it. It's a distraction to what I'm trying to do. I'm going to switch it really quickly and, and be on a better path. And you do that like, you know, 20 times a day, you're going to end up with a better day. So the, so the way I see it, it's really a transformative power of applying these, you know, effort, concentration, mindfulness. So do you have any uh, personal anecdotes or experiences that illustrate this? Yeah, so um, I'm thinking about uh, dealing with difficult situations in, in a work context. Um, so an example that comes to me is, is, is dealing with a, an underperforming employee, right? And, you know, business leaders have faced this many times, you know, over the course. And in th that's the type of situation that it's easy to, um, if you don't bring a certain depth of mindfulness to the process, you're not likely to apply right effort <laughs> to it and have a, and have a wholesome outcome, right? So there's ways of dealing with that which are too loose and which are too tight, right? Too loose might be something like, well, you don't say anything or you just, you know, say, oh, well, we'll, we'll just adapt, you know, to their underperformingness and other people pick, pick up the slack and, you know, we'll just kind of let, let them go. That would obviously be too loose. And then too tight might be, um, you know, a really harsh termination might be too tight. Um, or, you know, maybe put it, or even, you know, putting them on a, on a very, um, punitive disciplinary, you know, course, you know, might be too tight. There's a, there's a number of, you know, ways that you could do it too tight. So I'm, I'm, you know, re remembering specific incidents for me, right. I needed to really, um, spend time reflecting on, okay, how's this person, uh, you know, functioning? Have I given you know, giving them enough chance to, to understand where, where they're falling short and, and how they're doing and, and giving them a chance to, you know, do better. And the, and the, the episode I'm, I'm thinking of, it, it wasn't happening. You know, I'd given them multiple chances, wasn't happening, wasn't getting it. And so I, you know, made the decision that, that we had to let them go. And then I, then I decided to, you know, do that in the most, in the most compassionate way that was good for him and his, you know, his future, as well as, you know, ways he could help us in, in the final two or three weeks of his engagement with us. And just very clearly, you know, came up with a plan. And early in my professional career, that was really difficult to do, but I've been doing it for decades. So now it becomes, you know, second nature about how to handle something like that. But that, that's, that was, that's an example of, a, I would say, you know, exercising right effort in a professional context, um, which requires, you know, a certain kind of quality of mind um, in order to execute. Yeah. And I think one of the best skills when you're building a company and running something that's getting bigger is really identifying that in each, per you know, find every person. How are they doing with that? Like, how is their effort? 
And are they a good fit? And sometimes there's tough decisions, but there's also good decisions. Like this person's doing great. I'm going to move them up in the company and then the company grows. So that's a key skill to really identify that. And, you know, again, the more that you identify it internally in your own life, I think the better you can do it uh, externally. Mm-hmm. So I think we covered a lot of good stuff with the uh, with the eightfold path. I just have a couple other questions for you, Paul. So, you know, the pursuit of happiness and enlightenment, you know, it seems like it's it might seem like an abstract ideal to get to. How can people that aren't seasoned practitioners of Zen Buddhism, how can they start incorporating the Eightfold Path into their daily lives? Well, hopefully we've given you some good pointers over the last three episodes that we've talked about the Eightfold Path. But I think the, the important thing is to is to, you know, learn about it, learn, learn the principles that underlie you know, this matrix of um, life, the Eightfold Path is kind of a matrix of life and learn the principles that underlie it and then create the virtuous habit within your own life that supports you in engaging this way. And really at the, at the heart of at the heart of Buddhist practice is that it really does make you happier. It really does lead to happiness, but you kind of do need to pay attention to the results to a certain extent, because in some ways you're you're going against the grain with some of the things that you're doing. It goes right back to the bicycle metaphor I I started with. Our normal patterns of mind and body um, are are comfortable for us and they're known to us, but they, they tend to oftentimes create unhappiness for us. We just don't recognize the, the the connection between that. But when we do learn that, okay, I, I'm going to take agency, I'm going to take intention, and I'm going to commit to being aware of how I'm doing things and what the consequences are, then ultimately that is going to lead to my happiness because I am going to be able to do all these wonderful things that we've been, that <laughs> we, we've been talking about. So re- learn, um, create a virtuous habit where you're recognizing um, what you're supporting and what you're not supporting. And then, and this is an important part, recognize how it pans out, you know, how things develop from that. Because we, we talk a lot about our poisons, you know, in our mind and the craving and the anger and the ignorance that we have these unwholesome tendencies in our mind, but we have so many wholesome tendencies as well. We have a basic goodness. We have a basic compassionate nature. We have a basic, um, um, ability to, to, to do good in the world. We, we have talents. All of us have talents and skills natively, we have so many signals that tell us, well, we need more and we need better and we need to do more and do better and do be less greedy and all of these things. But actually, um, we've got so many good qualities. So recognize those. That's a big part of the path too, that, that you are right in so much of what you do and say and think. You are having great effects and you are very wholesome in these things. So recognize those things and create a habit of supporting those good qualities in yourself. Yeah. And I do think it's like really important to strike a balance, too, between, you know, your professional life, your spiritual journey, your balance of like work life balance. And I think the more that you you work on these three mindfulness, 
effort and concentration, then the balance becomes a little easier. So I think that that ultimately leads to higher levels of happiness and enlightenment. Do you agree? I do agree. I, I've got this this uh, phrase that I created that came to me a number of years ago, said, in, instead of putting your practice, your spiritual practice into your life, like fitting it into your life, put your life into your practice, right? So, you know, people think, oh, I got to find time to meditate, you know, in my life. Well, instead of thinking of it that way, just think about put your life into your spiritual practice, whatever it is. Your spiritual practice might be meditating. It might be just learning to, to live better, what it, whatever it may be. Just put your life into that. Have your spiritual development be the main frame and then put all the aspects of your life, your work, your business, your family, put all that into the context of you developing as a spiritual being, as, as a bigger being. And then things become actually very easy. There's no, there's no competition between the two. It's all the same thing. Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I just, um, you know, we kind of went through the eightfold path now. And I think about the fact that I, I studied this for a while before I really got it. And so I would encourage the listeners to read, think about this, read about it multiple times, read some different books, you know, and then really study each part of this path and try and bring it into your life. It does take time, but as we said, the practice really does pay off. So I'm grateful. Um, and now, Paul, like if you don't mind, let's do a little guided meditation to close out this episode. Okay, we will do a short one. Um, and I'll, I'll start with the bell just to orient our thoughts. Um, so you can go ahead and take a nice posture, close your eyes. And bring to mind a task or a project that's on your plate. In your family, in your life, or at work. And contemplate what right effort would look like for this project or task. What could you do? that would be wholesome and serve the whole? What could you do to counteract some of the tendencies for you to be self-centered about the task? What are the things that you could say that make, might make the task more wholesome, benefit the most people, be done in the simplest way, the most efficient way, the way that creates fewer complications, leaves fewer traces, How to engage in the task in a way that isn't too tight or too loose. Excellent. Thank you, Paul. 
That was great. I was thinking of, um, you know, I, I'm working on a, a new startup and, you know, I'm trying to put the right effort into it and concentrate. And I'm learning from things that happened in the past and other startups. And so it's really, you know, I think about it every day. How can I be mindful on this? And the, the other thing that came to mind was just physical fitness. And, you know, I, I love to exercise and that takes, you know, I try and put more and more effort. The older I'm getting, a little bit more effort is good, goes a long way. I'm concentrating on my workouts. I'm mindful about them. And so like there's there's lots of uh, illustrations in both work and play. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks, Paul. This is a great episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And we would ask, please, that you subscribe to the Game of Zen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, um, sign up for Paul's great newsletter, zenatwork.org. And feel free to reach out for a guided session, a discovery session for Paul's work. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, Scott. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this exploration into Zen Buddhism and its transformative influence on work and life. We hope you'll subscribe, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. May your journey be one of continuous growth and mindful living. From all of us here at Game of Zen, wishing you peace and prosperity on your path ahead.